0: if you want to
1: live a bankless life you need to get a hardware wallet there is no alternative for storing your crypto in a self-sovereign fashion that's why i have four ledgers that i use to manage my different crypto assets using the ledger live account as well ledger live is like your home base for managing your ethereum DeFi, and crypto accounts it does a really good job of aggregating all of your different ethereum wallets if you are the type of person that uses more than one but you can also add other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Cosmos or whatever your preferred blockchain is. And then it will display an aggregate portfolio of all your accounts at the main page. One thing that Ledger is doing a really good job of is enabling all the money verbs that me and Ryan talked about with the Bankless Skill Cube, enabled in the Ledger Live app. So right now in the Ledger Live app, you can buy, sell, lend, swap, and stake your crypto assets, which is doing a really good job of fulfilling all of the money verbs in the Bankless Skill Cube. Something that's new to Ledger Live is Ledger Swap, where you can swap assets one for another directly inside the Ledger Live application, ensuring trustlessness in your financial activity on Ethereum and on Bitcoin. If you want to learn more about what you can do with a ledger, go to the blog post, The Power of Ledger Live on the ledger website, where they share some of the more advanced things that you can do with your ledger that you might not have known about. There's a link in the show notes that will take you to the ledger shop where you can get your preferred ledger hardware wallet. I personally like the Ledger Nano X, but I also have both. They're both great options. When you own a ledger, you own your own assets in the way that they have been designed to be held by the user and the user alone. So go get your ledger today to make sure that you are as self-sovereign as possible. The Bankless State and the Nations are brought to you by wire wire is DeFi's first self-building community-run project, which I just get really, really excited about. YERN is... A system that seeks out yield in DeFi and it does that in a number of different ways a very aggressive way is with the vaults where you can deposit your preferred asset of choice and different DeFi experts will come in and generate a strategy for what to do with your deposited token right and so it'll go find ways to get yield in that deposited token in DeFi for those who want to just earn yield on their stablecoins, the earn system is for you, where you can deposit your preferred stablecoin and YEARN will go and figure out which money market on DeFi in DeFi is producing the best interest rate, whether it's DYDX, it's Compound, or Aave. It, it looks around DeFi to see where the yield is coming from and it directs stablecoins automatically so you don't have to. Check them out at yearn.finance to get started and also check out the stats page to see what other people are doing as well.
2: Welcome, everyone, to the Bankless Nation. This is State of the Nation, episode number 22. David and I are coming at you on YouTube Live. We release these every Tuesday on YouTube. Uh, We also
1: release them on the podcast on Wednesday, so you can check it out both ways. David, how are you doing today? I am just so excited about what's to come. Now that the deposit contract is live, there are so many things to talk about that we've kept in our back pockets that we are now able to talk about, which we are going to start talking about them today in today's State of the Nation. All right. Well, let's talk about what we're talking about then today. <laughs> so we're talking about
2: ETH as an internet bond and some folks from uh, Consensus and Bison Trails put together a fantastic article and not just an article, um, some fantastic analytics around this that we're going to talk about today. We've got one of them coming on uh, to talk about this with us. But this this new paradigm of ETH as an internet bond, I think is going to be super important for institutional investors to understand so that's the first part of what we're
1: talking about today right David yeah absolutely and like I said there's just so many layers to to peel back this is a first ever in crypto this is a first ever in hard money there's never been a bond market around hard money uh, and so like learning about what that is I think is going to be a, a really fun adventure and I'm excited to to learn about it with everyone in the nation Awesome. So we've got an expert coming on to do that
2: uh, with us. We'll introduce him in just a moment. The other question we're going to answer probably in the second half of this is the question of how much you can really make staking. It's a question Mm -hmm. I'm sure is in your mind uh, and then maybe more immediately for David, how much ETH is it going to
1: take for you to retire, my friend? Are we gonna answer that question today? (laughs) This is a question I've always been asking myself. Like every once in a while, I pull out my calculator and go thirty-two times like two, thirty-two times four. Like if there's Mm. like five percent interest, you know, eight percent interest. Like as somebody that you know got into the world of Ethereum, just like thinking about like okay how many miners do i need to have versus how much and then and then it moves into how much like stake validators do i need to have in order to sovereign you know dependable income the cool thing you're all um, about that passive income all about the passive income yeah like, like the the whole cool thing about securing the ethereum protocol is that like there's no bureaucracy like trying to like figure out who need like do we get do we pay this guy like this month or maybe maybe we pay him next month like no there's no intermediary between you validating the ethereum blockchain and you being paid by the ethereum blockchain right so it's a dependable source of income and i don't know where else you can get that in the world which is why this is so valuable
2: it's a non-sovereign hard money productive asset mm-hmm. that pays you in eth as dividends which is right. also a hard money in it of in and of itself yeah. this is going to be exciting to you to dig into and you're in luck david because we not only have the calculator that's going to help you figure that out mm-hmm. we've got the guy who designed the calculator that's going to help you figure that out so uh you know let, let's figure out how much you need to retire how much ETH you need to retire on with this whole new staking thing yeah let me know uh, let, all right uh, lastly if we have some time we'll talk about some thoughts that i put out earlier this week uh, seven Thoughts for Crypto Pioneers. So it's going to be a jam packed episode. But before we get to the episode, um, t- talk about, uh, introduce our guests. Let's talk about a few things that are new going on in the nation. David, yesterday we put out this episode on the Bankless Podcast with Raul Paul, our best episode ever. Yeah. I don't know. Some people are saying that. It's definitely our most downloaded episode ever in 24 hours. Yeah,
1: 24 hour Yeah, t- uh, download limit. It's da- it broke the yeah. record on that. Well, what do you think? Was it our best episode? What do you think? Yeah, it was I was one one of our one of our better ones. Maybe not our maybe not our best, but like people are really into the world of the, or the conversation of like, you know, Ryan, you and I are like we are deep crypto native, right? Like we live, breathe and, and die for for Ethereum. Or old Paul, he's not like he's not so so like that. He's bullish on crypto for all the right reasons, but I wouldn't really consider him like a tribal member of like the crypto world, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't yeah, he's not we're, doesn't we're, bleed we're, bankless. he Doesn't really <laughs> necessarily bleed bankless, right? Like he's yeah. not a crypto native. He's just bullish on crypto. And so, having two people, two parties that have, like represent each side, I think is really important. And I think that's why that episode was so popular.
2: It was super cool. Is was, was bankless thesis meets macro thesis, and there's this interesting Venn diagram mm-hmm. where the two things tie together, and we have some common investment mm-hmm. narratives there. Mm-hmm. So check out that episode. Came out yesterday. Uh, should be on the podcast right now. We've also doing some cool things. We're, we're bringing in Andrew Keys yep. tomorrow, who is at Dharma Capital, and he's going to help answer the question, are the institutions coming to Ethereum staking? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also got a pretty cool announcement about getting some liquidity while you are staking ETH and how that works. So that's going to be a Meet the Nation episode on YouTube only, YouTube exclu- exclusive. And then next week, Michael uh, Sonnenschein is coming mm-hmm. from Grayscale. And um, this is funny because we recorded this episode, David, like two weeks ago Mm -hmm. with Michael. And at the time, I remember saying in the intro, wow, Grayscale has 7 billion assets under management. Mm -hmm. And like each week that that went by since then, Mm -hmm. it's gone up by another billion. So now I think we get to (laughs) we get to title the episode like 10 billion in Grayscale, something like that, um, and be pretty close to accurate on that. So it's been some amazing growth. That's going to be about the bridge to uh, traditional finance, uh, particularly with with Grayscale. That's going to be a cool one, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in and, and kind of in the same vein as like, you know, Grayscale represents like the macro world, right? It's kind of similar to Raul Paul. Like Grayscale isn't like the DeFi native, right? Like Grayscale, Grayscale can't go bankless. They are more or less like very, very bank friendly. But it's about the macro, like creating the world and creating the bridges to get into the world of crypto and the world of DeFi, the world of Ethereum. And, you know, something that I'm, that I'm paying attention to is, you know, we saw, uh, at least on DeFi Pulse, It took us like 18 months to get to a billion dollars locked in DeFi and then it took us like three months to get to $3 billion in DeFi and then it took us like three more weeks to get to like 11 or 12 billion in DeFi and I see that same acceleration happening in grayscale except that's with Ether in grayscale, right? And so uh, I just want to know like how how soon is that and how soon and how fast are those numbers going to really start ticking upwards
2: the growth is non-linear it's something closer to logarithmic yep. which is really cool it's hard for humans to think that way all right lastly on the uh, announcements list before we get to the the main event i've uh, got to mention the filecoin accelerator mm-hmm. so guys bankless is super important um defi is super important we also need decentralized storage uh in order to make these systems these defi systems censorship resistant so there's a file filecoin accelerator this is targeted at entrepreneurs and defi Devs, that is happening. You've still got five days to register and apply for this, but they're giving out a 20K grant. They're also giving up to a million in follow-up funding. There's a link in the show notes. If you're a DeFi dev, Mm -hmm. you've got an idea. You want to use Filecoin's distributed uh, storage layer, which we highly encourage you guys to check out and do. There is a link where you can apply. David is going to be a mentor as well, so check that out. David, I want to get to the question I ask you at the start of every episode, my friend, what is the state of the nation this week?
1: Uh, th- this one's so good. The state of the <laughs> nation is bonding. We are bonding, right? We are bonding <laughs> our ETH to the proof of stake phase zero chain. If you go to the uh, ethereum.org launchpad site, you can get your nodes up and running, deposit your 32 Ether and be part of the genesis of Ethereum. By bonding your ETH, but not only that, like many states of the nation, it doesn't mean just one thing. We are also bonding as a community, right? And so I'm working. Wow! Whoa! Double meaning. Yeah. Double double meaning. meaning. Double meaning. Yeah. Double meaning. (laughs) So, and and this is something that's baked into the core values of Ethereum. Consensus of the L1 is supposed to be done by many, many people, by everyone, by us, right? And it is a way to generate community. And uh, we're in. We're in. Ryan, we have something going on in the in the background at Banklist that we're going to start pushing out like next week. Uh, I'm working on an article right now that kind of starts starts off with like how I started mining Ethereum and how that made me part of the Ethereum community and that is what and how I came to be in Ethereum, how I made my Ethereum friends and it started with mining at the consensus layer, right? And this is what we are doing with proof of stake. We are enabling everyone to validate Ethereum. And so we are bonding our ether and we are bonding as a community because that's what happens when you have decentralized consensus. So today's state of the nation is bonding.
2: David, that was excellent. I did anticipate the double meaning. That's yeah. incredible. You brought that in there. Um, also, this would not be a digital nation without a propaganda department, of course. <laughs> and so you are bringing some of that propaganda in that mm-hmm. article next week. I'm just going to show two quick clips of this uh this is some of the propaganda we have in store to encourage the ethereum Mm -hmm. nation to start staking secure the network run a minority client if you Mm -hmm. can't see this because you're listening to the podcast check out youtube this is a wartime poster folks you got to check it out here's another one i'm going to show we're going to (laughs) release a whole bunch of these they're fantastic they're amazing and i think should spread the meme of staking a little bit further. So Mm -hmm. that's going to be super exciting. All right. Bonding is our topic, friends. And so we want to bring on an expert in that topic. Want to introduce you guys to Colin Myers, who is the global strategy lead at Consensus Codify, doing all sorts of things in the staking department uh, today, and also responsible for some of the fantastic ETH as an internet bond um, white papers that you've seen, and also the ETH calculator that we're going to go into. Colin, how are you doing, sir? Welcome to the Bankless Nation.
0: Hey everyone! Uh, happy Happy Tuesday! Stoked Stoked to be on, and um, I like to think that the best is always yet to come. So maybe Maybe we can make this the most downloaded episode. So oh stoked, wow! Uh, it's... Stoked Stoked to be here with you guys today, and uh, thanks for having me on.
2: Well, this is a super cool topic to do it. And um, Colin, we've been wanting to have you on for quite some time, ever since you you helped put out the first Eve two calculator. But we were always like waiting for staking, you know? It's like it was always like two. <laughs> okay. Three 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 months away, you know, <laughs> like in three months, let's talk. But now it's here. So we're we're super excited uh to have you on. You know, the first half of this, we really want to talk about the concept that that you've been um, preaching here lately, uh, the the concept of ether when it's staked as an internet bond. We've said before that crypto is almost speed reading, uh, speed running through the history of development of money. Right, so like we've gone from like uh, like hard monies like gold, and now we're we're doing these early collateral based lending markets, and some of these things are, are new to DeFi, but. Like these things have happened through the course of financial history and and uh, through financial progress. And now we finally arrived at this super cool thing, which is an internet bond market. We have digital bonds now like ETH. Um, but first, before we get into that, for people who aren't really familiar with bonds, can we start with some foundations? So what is a bond market in traditional, in the traditional finance world, Colin? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so um, I think I agree with you guys, one, on kind of the the speed at which things are moving. And, and I think now we're beginning to see uh, new uh, primitives with new functionalities and different things that that actually will begin to create new financial products. And kind of what we've seen today is recreations, and now we're getting into that new financial product world. Um, When when most people think of bonds, it's mostly associated with debt um, and a promissory note for for someone to give funds to someone in return for some type of cash flow or some type of future promise. Um, When dealing with normal debt as well, there's uh, probably one of the greatest risks that, that you have to deal with is credit risk um and also uh prepayment risk as well if if you're on the bank side of the equation uh it's also important to note that bond and debt markets by that we're at a we're at a point today where and that was kind of one of the the purposes of the internet bond that mar and i wanted wanted to get across and at least advance the conversation around is uh beginning to develop macro indicators of network health once the world's largest blockchain finally switches to proof of stake which will really we believe change the foundation of the risk return premium and an ecosystem of rewards that, that can be earned not only at the base layer by participating in consensus but then all the other stream of rewards and risk technical and whatnot that you can take on on top of that base layer for staking um and what we want to do is try to create common terminology, um, common understanding, uh, draw conclusions from the world that we understand today. But then also, at the same time, let people know that these are these are hybrid instruments. Um, these these do not look like securities at all, uh, and and they operate in a completely different world. and And the best way to describe them are digital work agreements in the Web three era. Um, so. The goal of it is to is to bring it all together. Uh, we've seen a lot of different proof of stake networks launch in the past year and a half, all of which have have different bonding terms or bonding flavors or bonding styles. Um, but we've been preparing on our end for ETH2 now for for a while, almost two years. Um, and now it's time to to get the idea out there. It's time to standardize valuation methodologies for internet bonds. It's time to standardize the way that we look at them. Um, there's other things that need to be sorted as well that are more advanced, which we highlight at the end of the paper. Um, rating methodologies uh, and different things of the nature. Um, but, yeah, um, I'll stop there. Or I could just, you know, keep rambling for hours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: know, it's standard, it's standardization and making sure everyone's on the same page about like what these things are are, are super important. But but let's back up and, and talk about like bonds as an architecture in the, in the first place. Like why, why do bonds exist? Like why, who gets to issue bonds and and why would they do that?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, bonds, bonds, like, let's say I'm a company or a government, uh, or, or some, some, some type of entity, um, I would utilize a bond to get resources to grow. So I would give up some of my, uh, you know, future growth for short-term growth. Uh, by, you know, borrowing money from someone. Um, we found that the contractor license bond, uh, which is a type of surety bond, is, is you know, a bit different than what people think of, you know, bonds, which most people think of corporate or sovereign debt. Um, so what we've learned through the surety bond and through examining what, what, what happens at the base layer of the Ethereum network is, is that, you know, the definition of a bond should be broadly expanded. And it should be generalized as uh, a financial agreement between two or more parties. Uh, you need two parties to set up the agreement, and you can have more than one party involved in this agreement. But it's it's a work agreement for compensation it is probably the best way to to think about a bond. Uh, with a surety bond, you know you are you are putting capital on the line. You're also putting reputation on the line. Um, and that is also similar to to what you're doing as a validator. You know, you're you're there and you're there to prove your reputation. You are rewarded based on your future reputation, uh, and you're setting up an agreement between uh three parties, but the network acts as two of the three parties, uh, which is which is quite quite interesting as it guarantees mm-hmm. your cash flow streams are received um, because it comes from a pool of tokens, uh, which can be minted uh as the network grows.
1: Right, right, right. So so why are bond markets so big? Like it's one of the biggest, if not maybe it's the biggest market in the world. And and I was doing some some research before this um, before this stream and I and I learned that like there's 20 trillion dollars in United States government treasuries. Like that's a really big number. Why is this number so big? Why do people like bonds as an asset?
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is a deep question. Um, but uh, essentially, I mean, our our entire global economic scale is based on a credit system. Um, prior, prior to working um, on Wall Street for six years, and I spent all my time in the corporate debt markets. And the frequency of the deals that go on, and, and just just the sheer number of what takes place, and how how that system works, but. Um, it's a much larger, larger structural design consideration for global growth, uh, which today is fueled on credit cycles, uh, which is fueled, on, you know, interest. so many levers that that monetary policy can pull and utilize. And one of the main ones is play, playing with interest rates. Uh, as a result of being a um, so, you know, debt's a good thing, um, I think that debt can be a bad thing, but if you use debt correctly, it's it's, it's how we've experienced our uh, most of our human growth uh, over time. I mean, debt's existed since the beginning of recorded history, if you will, uh, from what we know today. So it all comes down to debt, uh, and debt is what people use to grow things, and it's the way that the global economy is structured today.
2: Hey, Colin, do you know off the off the top of your head how large the um, the bond market is in general, like <clears throat> sovereign bond market and then plus corporate bond? Just curious.
0: Yeah, I would say sovereign bond market, there, there is public data for that. Uh, corporate bond markets, there's not a whole lot of data, honestly, unless you're digging through a Bloomberg. Um, but I mean, it's in the multiples of trillions. You know, it's huge.
2: Yeah. So um, what I think is really interesting from sort of, you were describing Ether just at a high level for folks, just at a high level. So Ether, once it's staked, uh, is like a bond. And you were describing it has elements of a a surety bond because you're actually, as a staker, you're actually having to provide some labor. It's not just you just park the money. There is a labor component in terms of responsibilities of running a validator. So there's that that surety bond uh, component as well. David and I like also love to talk about how um, Ethereum is almost like a nation in some ways and how if you think of ETH as a, as a money, as a value asset as well, then it's to become a bit more like a, um, a sovereign bond in some ways, except it's not governed by a central bank or a sovereign nation state. It's a decentralized bond. So it's almost like a, a non-sovereign bond. It's almost like a, a decentralized T-bill. And I always find it funny that um, crypto often talks about benchmarks as like, what's going to be the total aggregate size of crypto, right? And people are like, Bitcoin, right? Okay, gold is $8 trillion, uh, in outstanding like value in the world. So what if Bitcoin got to $8 trillion or surpassed gold or took 50% of the market share? That's often the, the benchmark here. Well, what if ETH takes 50% of the uh, sovereign bond market market share? Right? Like, then you're in the tens of trillions of, of dollars. I'm not saying that that happens overnight, but like, introduce that concept into your brain because we have just created something pretty unique, which is a non sovereign um, bond that has elements of a of surety bond, but is also completely decentralized, backed by a decentralized economy, similar to a nation state. That's where I think things get really interesting. And by the way, ETH as a limited supply hard money that um becomes very interesting as well. So like I'm just like okay, 9 trillion that's cool. I mean, but like sorry bitcoiners, you guys shooting a little <laughs> low because we've got like 40 trillion in sovereign bonds and maybe a portion of that market uh, size is is the market we should be going for here. I just want folks to to see that framing of the world again. This is not going to happen overnight, folks. Like Ethereum has to grow a nation state sized mm-hmm. economy before that is possible. But I just want you to see that this is sort of the the financial the financial instrument that's just been unleashed. I just wanted to say that, Colin. Mostly,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, no, we're aligned on the meta ness of it, right? And yeah. Something that that I've been. I've been waiting for for ETH2 to launch now for two years and I've been spending um, pretty much all those two years on on the economics. Right. And then as the more the meta thing, like what there will be a reward rate that will come out of the network. Right. So once this thing goes live and it gets bootstrapped and we surpass phase zero, we get to Genesis and then we move through the life of ETH2. There will be some consistent reward rate that is public for all people to observe and that reward rate will become something extremely meta uh exactly what who knows uh it will be the risk-free rate of a new decentralized financial economy Mm -hmm. and it will be the benchmark of you know what is the cost of creating trustless transactions or you know what is the cost of uh just providing trustless infrastructure as a public good, or there will be there will be some type of benchmark like a risk-free rate, uh, which will come off of the Ethereum network. And and I do believe that that once that gets put in place, we will see a lot of different things change um, within our current stack of risk reward and scales that we see on top of Ethereum today. There's all these staking mechanisms, right, that are built everywhere with their different reward structures and the different things, but the thing they're built on doesn't have a proper reward structure that has similar barriers to entry that the things built on top of it do. Yeah. So now when you gut got the lower layer, you redo it, you create a reference rate. Uh, and then the reference rates that you are getting on top of that layer will have to fundamentally change somehow or be anchored to it in some way. So I think it's one of the final loops for us in DeFi to bring a holistically connected system together as we will have a a reference rate of sorts. Is totally to agree. Taking, taking risk in a certain ecosystem, what am I rewarded for, for taking risk? Uh, and then there will be a series of rewards put on top of it. So I don't think we know exactly what what it'll look like, but, but we do know that that reward rate will be an anchor to a much larger financial ecosystem.
2: Yeah. I mean, what we're talking about is ETH ETH staking uh, yield could become the risk-free rate Mm -hmm. for DeFi, basically, in this entire decentralized economy, similar to the way the T-bill, as you were saying earlier, is kind of the risk-free rate for traditional finance.
1: Uh, Super cool
2: to think about that.
1: So the current macro environment kind of changes up what, in my mind, what the risk-free rate is, right? And and Andreas Antonopoulos, I think, made this uh, made this claim in one of his Internet of Money speeches way back when, where you know Bitcoin changed the game on like what immutability is, like whatever immutability was before Bitcoin, like Bitcoin just added a new end of the spectrum for something that's much more immutable. And I think that's coming as well for whatever we call the risk-free rate in traditional finance, because, and especially during times of COVID and money printer go burr, like one of the reasons why there's a risk-free rate is because the uh, entity behind the assets that are guaranteeing the returns can print money to pay you back on your bond. Right. And so like, yeah, it's a risk-free rate, but you're also inflating the currency. And there's, and, and Ryan, you, you talked about like compare how Bitcoiners compare Bitcoin to gold and using gold as a benchmark. But if I were to put my Bitcoiner hat on, hat on, I would say like, you know, gold is like the minimum. We are going for, for a, a gold 2.0. That's an evolution on gold. It should be orders of magnitude more than gold. And I think we can say that same thing with Ether and the bond market. Like, yes, we are reconstructing the bond market. We can use the bond market as a benchmark. But we are able to provide much stronger assurances about the bond market of Ether because we have some things baked into the Ethereum protocol that prevent, you know, an overly irresponsible money, like issuance of ether, right? Minimum viable issuance. So what happens when we get a bond market that also has an entity that is restricted in issuing the the currency itself? That's something that's really interesting to me.
0: Yeah, the I mean the the issuance of ETH2, right? And and there's there's and that's some of the stuff that we baked into the model for the Internet Bond. Like in the earlier days of, of ETH2, before we get to Phase 1.5, which which for everyone is where the ETH1 chain is folded into a shard on ETH2, and that's when Ethereum will officially move from proof of work to proof of stake. There's there's you know going to be ongoing issuance uh, going on on the ETH1 chain. So so we'll have kind of like rewards split, but be- between two things um right now i believe uh the annual like the average annual issuance for ethereum is around 5% um whereas once we get into the mature eth2 world we're looking at 1% or under uh and it's a very uh its emission is based on its participation uh which is quite interesting which then ties to its economics which are mm-hmm. um Designed in a way that uh, they're capacity-based essentially. So uh, mm-hmm. if there is more ether needed to be staked in the network, um, then it will over incentivize for that. If we have too much security or there's too many people involved, then the r- rate of reward will drop and it'll reach its equilibrium state. So it's eth 2 is really meant to be this this fluid, moving, dynamic mm-hmm. system, and it's and it doesn't have a fixed supply. Uh, And I personally think that that's probably one of the greatest things about its design, Mm -hmm. uh, especially being a smart contract platform, whereas how can you expect to have a fixed supply when you don't actually understand how large it could actually get? Right. And by having a dynamic cap on the supply, uh, it's how it's be designed, I guess, is the way that I've looked at it. so when it comes to issuance and how that transitions over to ETH2 and how it compares to Bitcoin, there's a lot of interesting stuff going going on there. And there are a lot of people who will argue that the, so not having a supply cap uh, is a bad thing. But mm-hmm. to be honest with you, uh, ETH2 is probably one of the m- like most complex things uh, that I've ever tried to dissect. And there's still loads that I need to learn uh, after doing it for two years. But one thing I can say is, is that not having a supply cap and tying the economics to its issuance and usage is a very interesting thing that I, I can't wait to see play out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Colin, can you, Hi. in order to really figure out like what this thing is, can you maybe compare and contrast like a traditional bond market or bond issuance to like what we are seeing coming on Ethereum 2.0? Like how are they alike? How are they different?
0: Yeah, so I think I'll focus on one one point, which is really, really interesting, and that has to do with maturity. Um, so, and that's also one of the unique properties of an ETH2 internet bond and, and how it works, you know, beyond the earlier phases, which which has some restrictions, which um, are outlined in the paper, and then we can also discuss them as well. But there's this perpetual nature uh, of participating inside of this, um, you know, this global Uh, plumbing layer, if you will. Uh, When purchasing bonds or participating in traditional bond markets, um, their valuation, their yield, how they're sold, uh, and many things are anchored to a maturity date. Uh, Yield to maturity, uh, different types of calculations like this, there's a fixed uh, parameter inside of that. One of them is being what is the maturity of this, and the other one is what is the par value. So then you have instruments that are kind of free floating anchoring to these two items uh, when it comes to a perpetual e 2 Internet bond. The big difference there is, is that there is no maturity date. Uh, you are free to come in and come out of it whenever it is that you would like. And par value uh, has no barriers as to where it can go up and down. Uh, an e 2 Internet bond par value is 32 times the market price of whatever. Ethereum is currently at. Um, And your maturity is there, there is no maturity. So when you look at who issues perpetual bonds, they are only usually uh, sovereign nations essentially. And when those sovereign nations historically have issued perpetual bonds, um, they have a fixed rate of interest, whereas Ethereum is dynamic and there is a call option that as the holder, you you, you you don't have any right around it, which means that that authority or that central body that issued that perpetual bond that guaranteed you this interest rate into perpetuity has the right to pay you back whenever they want, mm. right? So that means that you could lose rewards inside of that structure, um, which is again, how ETH2 is different, but but it's fairly similar. So just to, just to highlight that, two of the major differences here are that internet bonds are designed or at least in the Ethereum sense are designed to be perpetual. You can come in, you can come out whenever you want and you are not subject to those rewards ever ending uh, because the protocol wants to, you know, take some money off the table, if you will. Now, Colin, Uh,
2: one caveat to that is during the, the, this initial phase zero, you can't come out whenever you want. Right. And I think you, you guys highlight that in your paper, how at first, it has a little bit of a different structure because mm-hmm. during the phase zero, basically you don't have the ability to exit from the bond. Uh, can you talk about
0: that for a minute? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so what, what we focused on in the paper, so like I, I guess kind of long, long story short is, is that we built this perpetual valuation model and spent time looking at ETH2's internet bond from a perpetual perspective. But we were looking too far into the future. So then when we wrote the first draft of internet bond, we backed up into, okay, what's going on in the earlier phases of ETH2? Because there are some fungible properties and technical restrictions that result in this perpetual bond actually looking like a deferred rate coupon instrument. Uh, based on its different properties. Right. Um, so in the paper, we decided to nail down deeper into phase zero to phase 1.5 mm-hmm. instead of doing phase 1.5 and beyond, right? Because right. that's the, the majority of how an ETH internet bond will be valued mm-hmm. in the way that it'll trade is 1.5 and beyond. Uh, whereas, you know, zero to 1.5 is this 18 to 24 month time period, again, maturity unknown, but its properties are very different. So, in the earlier days, the way that the process works today is um, I want to be a validator on ETH2. Uh, I head over to the ETH2 launchpad, um, I generate my keys, uh, I deposit my 32 ETH, I get my documentation and everything to spin up the client of my choice and also my ETH1 node of choice. And once I enter that system and and I make that deposit, um, I make a one-way deposit to the ETH1 chain. Uh, which again is in the ETH1 chain until the ETH1 chain is folded into the ETH2 chain, into a shard on ETH2, which is phase 1.5. So I send a one-way transaction, which is effectively a burn if the system doesn't work out. And inside of that, I accrue rewards, but but I can't do anything with them, right? So I'm still earning rewards and I own these rewards, you know. The sovereignty of the rewards belongs to me as the validator who deposited, but I don't have any liquidity on them, and and I can't really do do much with it aside from watch it accrue. So during during this you know this time period, the properties are very very interesting. Um, there's lots of different types of risks that uh, exist at the beginning and exist through its lifetime, but lessen, and then there are some risks that completely fall away. One of the major risks is not having liquidity on my base assets, which is my principal, which doesn't exist in the bond market. Pretty much all bonds have some degree of liquidity. They may be highly illiquid, but I still have the technical ability to trade it to someone or sell it if I'm uncomfortable with the situation. Um, So what we have come up with for the earlier phases of phase zero to 1.5 is that an ETH2 internet bond should be valued and probably will be valued like a discounted instrument where from its initial conception to its change in its fungibility properties, it will continually move towards its par value. And that's part of this
2: graph that we're looking at here, Colin. I think this is from your white paper, right? The the bottom line here is the, the in red is the market value. That's what you're talking about. The the discounted value that it would trade at. Whereas this top line is the the face value and what you're seeing, I think um, the, the, sort of the the um the the axis at the bottom is basically months over time and the transition from phase 0 all the way to this phase 1.5 and beyond and how all of the the the, the market value and the face value and the present
0: value all converge ultimately they yes they i mean in theory um uh which is what what we expect i think it's important to Note that in a fully mature ETH 2, like these internet bonds, which are, you know, chunks of 32 staked ETH, uh, these could trade at a discount, these could trade at a premium. Um, I suspect a world where there's a long queue for people waiting to become a validator, Hmm. at which point you may, there was a point on Madaja where people had to wait two and a half, nearly three weeks to actually enter the network and get a chance to earn rewards. Hmm. So there's there's this environment where over time it will definitely be a par value, and how do you assign that par value? And then as its properties change and the network changes, uh, it will trade at a premium or it'll trade at a discount. Uh, in the earlier days, we suspect it to to trade at a discount for two reasons. One of them being just the natural time value of money and the fact that the rewards that you earn you can't have today, and, and there's some other economic benefit that you could be doing with those money. So that's uh, that's a fairly basic um, present value uh, you know, evaluation. And then the other market rate is we applied manual discount rates for illiquidity uh, and a few other things as they would change, change over time. So one thing I think that's worth noting is that in our analysis, we had to use a maturity of 24 months. Uh, it was difficult for us to derive a valuation of an e 2 internet bond without creating some type of fixed variable. And in ours, it was basically laying it out over a 24-month time period from phase zero to phase 1.5. 12 months from phase zero to phase one, 12 months from phase one to phase 1.5, which is definitely on the conservative time frame. Uh, yeah, agreed.
2: I mean, we talked to Danny Ryan, but it's, it's possible some of this could ship in you know 2021, at least phase zero and who knows mm-hmm. about 1.5, but mm-hmm. yeah. So one last question, we're going to get to the second part of this uh, to help David answer his question in <laughs> just a minute, but one last question just to tie this off, right? So Golan, you guys wrote this fantastic internet bond white paper that sort of models out how ETH is similar to uh, traditional bonds. What does this do? For the typical institutional investor who's familiar with the, the the traditional bond world, does it help them understand it? Does it make them more warm to the asset class? What what do you expect from this?
0: Yeah, um, I suspect. Well, first first and foremost, um, those that are on the regulatory bodies and and the institutional people, like they definitely have gotten more up to speed on what Ethereum is uh, in the past 12 months, which I think is like super, super great. So the only network that they have the chance to understand what proof of stake is, Uh, if you give them a Tezos, if you give them a Cosmos, or if you give them any of these other chains and say, hey, take a look at this, like it's most likely going to be more confusing for them to understand what proof of stake is. So now I think that... A proof of stake is finally a reality inside of ETH2. They understand Ethereum. They're comfortable with Ethereum. They see the value. They see the things being built on it. They're more knowledgeable about it. Now they take a look at, okay, so I have all this ether. What, what, you know, what can I actually do with it? Or I'm interested in purchasing ether. What can I do with it? Because it is a utility token. So what type of utility does this token have? Uh, and today, for the first time, that 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 token has uh, its own utility uh, within its own ecosystem, which it was, you know, historically to pay for gas fees, but now it is the main asset used to achieve consensus, which is a self-reinforcing cycle of value. Um, so I do believe that now people are ready to understand staking. And I believe that staking is easy for them to understand, but they need to look at staking through a lens of a network that they trust. And finally, now it's time for Ethereum to be that network that, you know staking is here and people understand ethereum so I see this really cool mashup of of getting these more people involved I can tell you just I just spent a lot of time on eth 2 research that the illiquidity part of2 is 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 an institute there's absolutely no doubt about that but I also know that there there are uh custodial who working on solutions to help the institutions get get involved I don't think there's any uh there's not much left selling on what is blockchain yeah. that they need to see. They just need to have mandates in place, one of them being liquidity. Yeah. Uh, if you're locked into an asset that's no good and you have LPs, like, you're going to need to get out, and in an E zero to 1.5 setting, uh, that's that's not a property that, that 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 they're used to experiencing. It's so
2: cool. I mean, some people will think about liquidity as well that blocks the institutions. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, it's good for the decentralization of the network. Uh, decentralization of the network that this is a bit more hobbyist and institutional blocked uh, from from the get-go. And they, get, you're right, they get to come seems- after I fill all my bags. Exactly. After David retires on his passive income, which we'll talk about in a minute. But so, but like, I think what you're saying here is this is what, what's so cool about this is if you guys zoom out and are listening to what we're saying about this internet bond thing, five years ago, institutional investors did not understand Bitcoin, right? They didn't understand it. And over the last five years, we've seen the education of Raul Paul, Paul Turd-Jones, uh, Stanley uh, Druckenmiller, right? Like, Like these people are now like, oh, I see store of value. It's like digital gold. That happened over the past five years. Five years ago, when I entered this space, that wasn't the case. They didn't understand this. They thought it was criminal drug money.
1: I think that happened over the last
2: two years. I think it was even even shorter than that. So what I think will happen over the next, I'll be conservative and say five years, is that institutions will start to understand internet bonds as a financial instrument, the way they understand Bitcoin as digital gold. And next thing you know, Paul Tudor Jones will talk about the ETH, the staked ETH he's just Mm -hmm. invested in or started uh, validating. And I think that is the next chapter here that you have helped unlock Colin. So thanks a lot. Do you have some time to stick with us so we can help David retire (laughs) on his passive ETH income?
0: Yeah, of course. I'd like to know what these numbers are like too, so I can set some more personal benchmarks, (laughs) (laughs) All right?
2: We're going to do that in just a second, but first we want to talk about some of our fantastic sponsors that made this episode possible
1: if you are looking for a mobile wallet to hold and access your crypto you need to go to argent.xyz and download their smart contract wallet app right onto your android or ios device argent is the most secure way to hold money on your device while still being able to access DeFi services that we all know and love on ethereum Through Argent, you have one-tap access to the beloved DeFi apps like Compound, Uniswap, Aave, and you can even invest directly into some yield generating assets right from your Argent wallet. Crucial to maintaining security over your assets is Argent's Guardian service, which allows you to use a friend to make sure that you can always restore access to your funds in case you were to ever lose your phone or for your device to break. You can also use a local hardware wallet to ensure that you can always restore access to your funds yourself. One of Argent's newest features is their ability to route trades through 10 decentralized exchanges, including Uniswap and Kyber, to make sure that you are always getting the best trade on your assets. Similarly, pushing the fold on what we can do in Ethereum and DeFi, Argent has replicated some of the legacy financial services that you would expect from your bank, but put it directly into the hands of the user, such as send limits and whitelisted accounts, ensuring that if anyone were to be able to access your funds in your Argent wallet, they could only send up to a certain amount and only be able to send them to approved addresses, which is creating one of the most safe environments to hold your assets in, which is why people have put millions and millions of dollars in into the Argent wallet that they use on their device. In order to see the Argent wallet in action, go to argent.link bankless and download the Argent wallet on iOS or Android today. We're also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is your cool new DeFi account, your DeFi savings account, your DeFi checking account. Except the cool thing about the Monolith DeFi account is that it gets software updates, right? You actually get to increase the usefulness of this over time. So here are some of the features. Monolith is a smart contract wallet with a lot of the features that you would expect if you've come to know DeFi and what it is. You can you can add money to it. You can put that money to work uh, in compound and, and accessing yield. Uh, but you can, uh, and you can also swap through Uniswap. What was cool with Monolith is that they will send you a very sexy Monolith Visa card that connects to your smart Monolith smart contract wallet on Ethereum. So it's a really awesome tool to live a bankless life with a, a, a savings account that gets software updates. So this is, this is something that you're never gonna find out in the real world, but you can still do real world things with you know real money and like buy your groceries. So that's just fantastic. Coming soon to Monolith, actually already here to Monolith, is now you can buy DAI and get it sent to your wallet directly, right? So it's also being an on-ramp. So you You don't have to go through your centralized exchange like Coinbase or Gemini or wherever. You can just go straight from your bank account right into your monolith checking account smart contract wallet. So check them out at monolith.xyz.
2: All right, Bankless Nation, we are back with Colin Myers and uh, David, of course, and he's going to help us answer a very important question. Of course, we talk about on Bankless, what, what is Bankless about? It's about freedom, financial freedom, freedom from banks. Um, And David has the question, probably the same question that many of you have, which is how much ETH is actually required in staking to earn a decent passive income off of this stuff, an income source that is denominated in self-sovereign bankless money. Eth native source, David. I think that's the reason you started to get into this
1: space. Is that correct? That's always been the dream. Absolutely, and and this is something that really gets me excited about Ethereum 2.0 is because we're about to do this all over again. Like I got into Ethereum because I started mining on my gaming computer, finding out like I can make five dollars a day on my GPU. Uh, and then I scaled that up until like 24 GPUs, like spread in different corners of, of my dad's house. Uh, but, then, but then like in the bear market, the bear market came and then, you know, A6 kind of dominated the Ethereum landscape. And so I see this, this migration to proof of stake as a resurgence of some of the original core values that brought people into Ethereum in the first place. The ability to mine ether and get ether dividends in your home is really powerful and like we are going back to that world with proof of stake that's always been the point of proof of stake is getting money paid to you at home in a self-sovereign way and so i want to know like how how much ether do i need to stake so i can like have a comfortable retirement like that's all right that's, well let's that find that out let's find it out it's been my question so got, for
2: 3 years you know what colin myers designed we've got him on right now he designed the perfect calculator for you then we're going to go through it and i don't think david is the only one by the way i've talked to a lot of eth holders definitely not through the bear market and part of the reason they kept the faith and kept holding is like why? I'm waiting for proof of stake. I'm waiting for this to be a semi-passive income source for me in the future. I believe in Ethereum. I believe that this is possible. So David is not the only one <laughs> and if you are watching, you are listening, I bet you have some interest in this too. So, I am pulling up the uh ETH2 calculator designed by Colin Mara, some other folks and and the team at Consensus and partially and Trails. This will be linked in the show notes. There's also a guide that we will link. Uh, It's already linked. There's a guide we will link in the show notes too that we designed that will help you through it. It has some variables we're going to go through and help answer uh, David's question today. So um, We've got first this whole category under the ETH2 calculator. Let's start here. The current cost to become an ETH2 validator is $14,293. That is the cost of uh, essentially 32 ETH, owning 32 ETH. Is that correct, Colin?
0: Yeah, that's your that's your raw cost, if you will. That's your asset acquisition cost.
2: So that's your capital outweigh. That's almost the equivalent, David, to your GPUs, basically. You've got to buy the GPUs. you got to buy the ASICs. That's what the ASICs are in yep. this new model. We have to get a certain amount of uh, validators and stake on board to, to launch the chain. I'm assuming we get that. I still have full faith, yep. especially after our uh, ETH, ETH war effort next week, David, we're going to hit those numbers, not going to be a problem. Let's talk about um, some of the variables here. So one variable, Colin, is the ETH price, of course, right? So this calculator auto feeds into the ETH price. Another variable that you could adjust up or down is the total uh, amount of ETH at stake. So this model right now in the default assumes about a million. But is it correct, Colin? If I adjust that amount up to say two million, or three million, or five million, um, that that indicates more ETH of the total staked. That the rewards will go down for David. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Yes, correct. Um, so it's uh, we're going to start off earning rewards at 524,288. Uh, mm-hmm. That that is the genesis threshold, and then as more validators get added. Uh, you will see uh, between phase zero and phase 1.5, when there is no liquidity, you'll see a you know, you'll see a uh, a unidirectional decreasing reward structure, okay. where an earlier epochs you'll receive the highest, and then as more stake gets added to the network, you will receive less.
2: We'll keep it at a million for now. That will probably go up in other phases over time. It's it's hard to know ETH circulating supply. That that feels. Um, you know, fairly certain. I think the assumption of all of the other validators on 95% of the time feels pretty safe, but let's, so let's get to the uh, validator specifics. So David, do you already have an internet router, my friend?
1: Can I say yes to I, this question? I got. I have an internet router, yes. That's how, how okay. we are doing this dream. <laughs> OK, good to know. Good to know we're not using your cell connection. All
2: right, so um, infrastructure, um, what yeah. kind of node are you going to run? So you have kind of two options here, mm-hmm. right? So you could either run your own hardware, hardware. or you could run in the cloud No, you don't. Hardware, hardware, staking at home. All right, so you want actual physical hardware. Yep inside of your residence where you live and what are we doing for infrastructure choices i'll give you uh i'll give you two here that's what the calculator says you, you go the bare minimum requirements or you do mm-hmm. recommend it all right so here is i think um let's see the minimum requirements are something like this mm-hmm. four gigs ram twenty oh, yeah. gigs storage I, ssd
1: i definitely got that yeah mm-hmm. okay so and so, what's so for, for people who are who are looking at this like I'm going to be staking on a 2018 MacBook Pro and that ah. is more than enough uh, I, I think I have an i7 in it an Intel i7 chip maybe that's a little bit higher than average but an i5 is going to be just fine okay. So you've got the recommended requirements, you're above yep. minimum requirements.
2: And then Colin, what's interesting is David just answered the question. Like he has the internet, he has a router, he has broadband. That's all you need, broadband. You don't need some super mm-hmm. like fast fiber connection, like your, your Comcast right. connection yep. if you're in the US works. Is that right? Correct. All right, cool. All right. So. Uh, David, how many how many validators are you going to run? Maybe we'll say like base case here first, and then we'll we'll work towards your dream retirement passive income.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna only put in 32. I'm gonna put one validator okay. through uh, in phase zero, and then I'll I'll get the rest of my ether over. Uh, you know, all, all 332,000 of them over. Uh, you know, later. You know.
2: Okay, so this is you at first. You're being conservative, so you're like you're not ready to start retiring on this passive income. Yeah. But we'll set this to one, one validator. Mm-hmm. So that means you're putting 32 ETH in, and again, 32 ETH is about 14k in capital. So not insignificant, guys, right? Mm-hmm. And again, we put out a a, um, a meet the nation video about Rocket Pool. If you have less than 32 ETH, there are other ways to stake, yep. and there will be other ways to stake. But um, David's running his own validator uptime. 95 percent it's set at i'm um, better than that
1: i'm 98 give me 98 percent.
2: i'll just give you a flavor here's an sl like a calculator uptime mm-hmm. calculator so 95 percent means um you could be down up to 18 days a year mm-hmm. right that's 90 95 so what did you say 99 percent? 98 give
1: me 98
2: 98 i'm a good boy all right. That still gives you, even as a good boy, like that gives you the ability to be down seven days a year.
1: Right. So, so when um, I move apartments, I can close my laptop, carry it from one apartment to the, another set up Comcast. And that's, that's my like sev- five to seven day break. Then that's okay. Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's reasonable. As long as Comcast is out for like two weeks or like some sort of disaster hit. So I'm going to set you at 98%, um, cost of computer hardware. I think that's already been put in useful life. Everything else is, is put in. So, um, I think, Colin, am I looking at the right place? This is David's annual profit with these variables in place. So that's an annual profit, if you can't see this, of $1,777 at a net validator issuance. So he is making annual returns of Mm 12.43% on his 32 ETH. So on his 14K, denominated US dollars, he's making a 12.43% return. This is after the cost of hardware and internet. Am I reading that correctly, Colin?
0: Yes, that's correct. And for specificity purposes, that means that that epoch that he participates in uh, with the network state at 1 million ETH staked, Mm -hmm. uh, on an annualized basis, he would earn 12.43%. Very cool. Um, So that's an annualized number. And it's based on the snapshot of the state of the network uh, at a million East staked,
1: which so over David. the course
0: of the year will, will, will change, you know, it'll only increase. So his actual annualized reward will be less than, than what, what the metric is that you see here today as it's annualized at a snapshot point in time.
2: Got it. So as the stake increases, that could go down a little bit and that would be annualized up to that amount. So, so David, I guess, uh, w- one question. So if you were to park your funds in mm-hmm. say the equivalent sovereign, um, bond market, like, what would you do on a, on a T-bill, right? Like, do you know T-bill rates off the top of your head?
1: T-bill rates, especially right now, I'm pretty sure are like 1% to 3%, maybe more, maybe. That sounds about right to me. Right, yeah. And so, specifically 1% to 3% on the US dollar, which is not a hard money.
2: Which is not a hard money. It's between 1% to 3% and dropping. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if we saw zero. Some people talk about with negative the central bank digital rates. currency, yep. negative and then in the background, the Fed is inflating your money, right. inflating the money supply, yep. right? So this Bad is, uh, I mean, yeah, this is this is a totally different paradigm here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, a different source, but there are risks here, of course. So um, let's talk about other places you could put your ETH. Is there anywhere in DeFi that you can mm-hmm. get this kind of return
1: at the moment that you're aware of? In y you can submit your Ether into a Y-Eth vault and then it will draw die from MakerDAO and use that die to get a yield. And that is earning something like four to six percent but that also has some risks involved because if um your ether drops you actually might end up having to sell your ether because you are taking out leverage to get that done and so like while that is four to six percent that is not a risk-free four to six percent that is a risk on four to six percent which is a very important difference
2: and it also has um other like DeFi risk uh you're Mm -hmm. trusting Dai, you're trusting wire and you're trusting maker smart contracts whereas this and guys, when we say risk-free rate, somebody chewed me out on Twitter one time, somebody in D5 because I said mm-hmm. like ETH stake will be risk-free rate. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "It's not risk-free. There's tons of risk." I'm like, "Yeah, I know there's risk, but it's it's mm-hmm. protocol risk. It's right. the base layer risk. That's what you're incurring here, but you're not taking all of the other right. layers on top, right? And
1: importantly, in Ethereum staking, there is no counterparty risk, right? You are yes. not loaning out your money. There's no one receiving it. The the thing that is receiving your ether is Ethereum, which we can all trust, otherwise it wouldn't work.
2: Okay, all right. So, so you're you're putting that in, but like you're getting one thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven dollars, which is a which is a good start, right, right? for yeah. uh, some passive income for mm-hmm. you. But um, that's probably not going to be enough to retire on, right? Yeah, on
1: reti- retirement, that's a pretty slim retirement.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let let's let's talk about some of your dreams, David. Mm-hmm. So we've got a few variables that we can adjust here. All mm-hmm. right, just for fun. Um, one variable of course, is you could put more ETH into this thing. You could go buy more ETH and go risk it in, um, this risk-free rate of ETH2 protocol risking. Mm -hmm. Um, so you have that option, my friend, another option that we might see. And, um, you know, despite what people might, might think Dave and I do not control the price of ETH (laughs) It ebbs and flows on Mm -hmm. its own. But if the price of ETH goes up, Mm -hmm. what's that going to do to your return?
1: Well, in US dollar value, it's going to pump that number up. Absolutely.
2: In US dollar value. Yeah. Interesting. But so, not so your in Ether denominated. Your
1: Ether denominated returns will stay the same independent of the dollar price. But if the dollar value of Ether goes up, then the dollar value of your Ether d- dividends also goes up.
2: Okay. So let's say that, um, what what numbers do you want to adjust then, David? Let's let you play the scenario out. So we could adjust ETH price. We could Mm -hmm. adjust how much ETH you want to put in. What's kind of reasonable for your... Retirement passive income dreams.
1: Yeah, so Chris Bernisky, who is a person I, I trust, re- tweeted out recently about his projected returns based off of Bitcoin, Ether, and DeFi mid to small caps. And he uh, estimated that Ether at the end of this cycle is going to do a 10x, uh, where he thinks Bitcoin is going to do a 5x, Ether is going to do a 10x, and then DeFi mid caps are going to do a 20 to 50x. So let's go with what Chris said. Um, and so that would be put Ether at roughly $4,500. At a, at a stable uh, end of cycle price. Wow,
2: $4,500. And mm-hmm. uh, when he was saying cycle, w- any idea what the timeline was he was talking about? I don't about? think he gave a
1: timeline, no. Okay,
2: so he's saying probably in the next three to five years, two to, two to right. five years-ish. Yeah, two, okay. two to five, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are jacking, we are 10xing the ETH price right, right. now, which yep. is not crazy for a uh, crazy bull for market crypto. cycle. Yep. Okay, and then uh, are we keeping your, you just want to, run in one validator with 32 ETH.
1: Yeah, let's let's keep one validator for now and then we'll see what number that gives and then we will go and change that number after I see with the number that it gives. All right, Colin's magic calculator did all of the calculations for us and but, the but number But I, I think we getting... have to tweak one more number because I think if we are assuming that Ether price is going to be $4500, I think there's probably going to be more Ether being staked. Uh, ah. I feel like that's a likely outcome. So let's go from 1 million to let's go to th- let's go to 4 million. 4 million okay. ETH staked. $4 million ETH staked.
2: We'll keep the other variables the same. Of yeah. course, ETH circulating supply is going to be up a little bit too. But sure, maybe we, yeah. we ignore we that yeah, for now. Yeah, let's ignore that. That's an okay.
1: unknown quantity.
2: All right. Anything else you want to adjust?
1: No, I think that's right.
2: All right. So your annual profit right now, you're doing 10 a year. So you okay. went from, you just basically 10X your annual profit. No, right? no. Now,
1: it was at $1,700 and now we're at oh, $10,000. Yes. $10, exactly. So was, less than 10X. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: Because the issuance, your um, net issuance annualized went down from, what, 12 to 7?
1: Yep. Right. And so it, it, we previously, when there was only 1 million Ether staked, we were receiving a 12% uh, issuance rate, a 12% interest rate on our ETH. And since we bumped that 1 million total ETH staked up to 4 million, it went down to 7.4%.
2: Okay. Is that going to be enough to retire on my friend 10K we're, a year?
1: We're, we're getting closer, but still like 10K. Like I have a pretty bougie diet. I eat a lot of steak. So I think we're going have to have to add some more validators, Ryan. All right. So what do you want to do? Well, okay. So if I'm making $10,000 a year on one 32 ETH node validator, I, my, my retirement goals are $50,000 a year. So I think we should 5X uh, 32. So five times 32, which that number is. Mm, quick math. Five times
2: thirty-two is one hundred sixty ETH staked, mm-hmm. and the calculator does it for you, my friend. Oh, um, fantastic. And then that gets you to your annualized profit of fifty-four K per year, a comfortable I, retirement, I can and that retire would mean. That would, that would mean that you are, and this is, by the way, like some people talk about like FIRE, uh, financially independent, retire early. This is around the benchmark that they mm-hmm. use for that sort of thing in personal finance world, right? Like 50K annualized. Mm-hmm. Some people feel comfortable enough to retire. What that means is basically you've still got a lot of capital here mm-hmm. if you're doing that because that 160K is all your capital. That's right. like your net like capital, mm-hmm. but it's throwing off 54K a year in profit for right. you. Mm-hmm. And that's paying for all your stake and your
1: bougie lifestyle. Yep. <laughs> no, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 55, you know, it's not, it's uh, $55,000 a year as a salary is, is, you know, a modest salary. Like you know, some people will, will, would really appreciate $55,000 a year on retirement. Like that's not the, it's relatively slim, but I guess like your consumption in retirement goes down. But like you're 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 still gonna have to like you know do some things, right? You you don't get to just like you know buy a jet and start flying all over the world. <laughs>
2: You know what it does do, though, is it gives you the ability to go pursue hobbies, like even income making hobbies, like, you know, like the stuff that we do often. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, it's fun. It's like stuff I'd be doing if I didn't Mm -hmm. have to work. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get to do that and you don't have to be a slave to the uh, the wage. Right. Yep. That's, um, that's so that's right. what that income can do for you. Yeah, that is right, $55,000
1: cool. $55, in, again, a issuance of, of dividends to you coming from a protocol, not a counterparty. There is no dependencies on me receiving my $55,000 a year retirement, right? And so it's actually as a security, as a, as a, as a, a, a safety net, it's pretty strong.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, hopefully will emerge as kind of the, the risk-free, like the teals essentially of crypto. So this is less risky than say depositing your, your, um, your ETH into the yam farms way back when we used to yeah. do that kind of thing over the summer. <laughs> uh, very cool. All right. Did that a question?
1: I need 160 ETH in order to uh, retire, assuming that ether 10 X is in price. So I got yeah. some work to do with my stack.
2: Should we do some Anthony Sassana predictions and just uh, jack this up to 10K? 10K.
1: Let's see what happens at 10K. Let's do 10K, 10K 32 ETH uh, deposit rather than 160. Let's go back to one validator.
2: Okay. All right. So one validator at 10K ETH. This Mm -hmm. is the Anthony Sassana prediction. You're Mm -hmm. doing 24K a year from 1700 a year to 24K a year. If if and Anthony
1: Cisano is correct, which I, I trust the guy, he he's he's pretty he's pretty correct uh, uh, f- quite frequently, uh, and so w- that means one validator node with 32 ETH gets you twenty four thousand dollars a year. That is insane.
2: Not too shabby, my friend. And then uh, five. If we increase that to five, you're doing uh, so. This is again 160 ETH staked. On a single validator, you can do this. It's 122k a year in relatively
1: passive income. Okay, but that if that's going to be the case, we have to bump up the total staked to twelve thousand or twelve million ETH. We got to do that because that's just too too good return. All right, you don't want to live in fantasy world. I don't know if it'll ever get to twelve k ETH. What do you think?
2: Like yeah, six so years. Excuse me, twelve million. What do you think, Colin? Do you think it's going that high? Because at a, at a certain point, like it kind of trails off, and you're just it's diminishing returns as far as the returns
0: go, right? Depending on the price of ETH, uh, net like nominal yields do do turn negative um, if ETH doesn't like moon really hard. Once you get about past that ten million mark. Um, I personally think that through phase zero to phase one, we see about a million and a half to 2 million. I think phase 1.5 people, sorry, phase 1 to 1.5, more people begin to step in. And then by the time we fold ETH1 into ETH2, I think we're around that 5 million mark, which is like phase 1.5. And then it's kind of, you know, it's ongoing state, uh, once it gets into phase two and then with what we know today, it's it's pretty mature on its fungibility properties, but things may change. Uh, I see 10 million as being uh, the economic barrier uh, that it may not make sense for people to want to participate, given the skills required to do so on your own and the rewards that uh, that you're offered. But 10 million ETH takes plenty for security of the network. Uh, but, but I personally see 10, 10 million probably being, being that ceiling because there are, uh, negative yields that could be experienced based on where the price of these have.
2: All right. 10 million, you're doing 77 K a year, David. And then plenty. by the way, that's plenty. That's plenty. a pretty decent retirement. If, uh, if some of our ETHBull friends are right. And then by the way, how, is there a way to see how much Colin, um, like at a at 10K price ETH, at some of these variables, t- um, 10 million staked, how much economic security does Ethereum have? Is there a chart on that in this calculator?
0: Yeah, there's no, there's no security measures okay. um, and benchmarks set inside of this, just kind of relative issuances. Um, if you scroll to the right, though, a little bit, um, mm-hmm. one, one interesting thing is this chart with the three uh, descending, which is validator issuance, network at home, and using a VPS um so this is the scale uh, it's the top right chart so if you go up a little bit and then scroll a little over to the right yeah this one right here so if you take a look at this this is genesis to 10 million eth staked uh with the price of eth set at around 400 uh so so it is uh you know relevant so assuming you're seeing prices there this is your this is your gross from 19.8 percent to 4.5 percent uh, and then when you begin to layer in cost, there's two different cost factors as we've gone through. Uh, as you can see, once you begin to use your BPS and you get out here and you're only staking one validator into the five million range, uh, your yields actually turn negative. Uh, whereas if you're validating at home you're you're pretty close to break even at ten million. Uh, so I think it, it it'll it'll come down to the cost to the validator setup is to is to where that break even point is, um, but I think this is probably relevant for users to take a look at uh, it, as it, it explains the reward structure and how how it's related to the amount of each staked.
2: And that's interesting because it could it should kind of uh, collapse to to sort of something close to the marginal cost, right? And like risk of of staking, the similar similar to the way um, proof of work does, where it's yeah, like correct. like energy plus ASICs, like marginal mm-hmm. cost.
0: Yeah, it'll. I mean, doing a break-even analysis is probably what, what most larger people will do when deciding whether or not you know whether or not this is a good use for for their ETH or whether or not they could they could earn uh, more rewards someplace else.
2: Very cool. All right. Well, we've got uh, David on his retirement plan. Yep. Colin, this has been fantastic, guys. Bankless Nation. We've got guides. We've got calculators. You can see if staking is right uh, for you and if it makes sense. And how to get on the passive income train, if it comes to pass, um, Colin, just thanks a lot for your time. And thanks for putting all of this stuff together, right? Devs are super hard at work. Um, also like people like you to help educate the community, uh, on staking and the potential of the internet bond, it's just like instrumental. So like, thank you for all the work that you're doing here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is my my E2 effort is is my uh my 15% of my time commitment at Consensus that is that is, you know, meant to to give back in a non-profitable manner. So it's been a very exciting two years. It's been a great experience for me to go through go through the whole thing. It's it's me giving back to the community that's that's given a lot uh, to me, over over the past three years, so um, I appreciate you guys having me on today to to walk through the calculator and also to help get more more people educated about you know uh, ETH2 staking, what what internet bonds would look like, and also to leverage the community that you guys have to kind of drum up a good conversation. I'm I'm really hoping this kind of gets gets people's gears grinding, uh, thinking about becoming a validator, thinking about the different abstractions. Um, that could be built on top of staked ether uh, as as there's a lot of different things that could be built on top. So hope that the paper serves as a a fundamental viewpoint and uh, can't wait to get back on with you guys once, once Genesis goes and then we actually start seeing some data is to how these things are valued and, and if it's relevant to, to some of the projections um, that we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just uh, just to close it out, um, for those of you who, who want to check out the, the internet bond paper uh, that Mara and myself put together, um, there's been a couple of good uh, Twitter posts by the Bankless team, and then we also collabed on an article as well. So uh, feel free to check those out and head over to the PDF. Um, and, and last last shameless plug for me would be for everyone to go check out Activate uh, activates a, uh, a project that consensus that I spend most of my time on. Um, we collaborated with the Ethereum foundation to build the ETH2 launchpad. Um, so it's kind of the big thing that we're trying to, to promote people to, uh, come into activate, learn more about phase zero. We have an FAQ, we have, uh, an interface built on the calculator there. And we also have a secure link most importantly to the ETH2 launchpad. So you can ensure that you're not getting fished by coming through activate. Um, as we built, we helped the EF build the platform. So we're excited about phase zero. I'm stoked that Genesis uh, is around the corner and uh, doing things like this will help it become more successful. So I appreciate what you guys are doing as, as it's extremely helpful.
1: Likewise, Colin, one thing I've I've been hammering on lately is as I've been watching the, the macro world really learn how to place Bitcoin in the world around it. And there's nothing more bullish for, for Bitcoin than being understood. And when it comes to Ether and staking Ethereum and, and proof of stake and, and uh, advertising like this internet bond market, that's what I see you doing with this calculator for Ethereum, right? Like really putting it into di- digestible and knowledgeable mental models for people to understand what is actually going on here. And so that's just one thing that really just makes me really excited about you know staking my own ethers. Like people are going to figure out what this thing actually is and it's going to be on the the shoulders of of your effort and, and mara's effort and and everyone else who's trying to to push this conversation forward so thank you for everything you're doing
2: awesome thanks colin take care
0: cheers guys talk to you soon. see you later. later everybody
1: bye wow Oh, super good right i, was, uh, I mean I know we always say it, and I've probably said that we always say it last time, but like uh, I'm bullish. (laughs) You know what you said there that was super
2: cool is the most bullish thing for Bitcoin is being understood, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing. The most bullish thing for Ethereum is being understood, and I think we're going to see like both of these things happen in the next cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, cool, man, this, this, uh, situation's going long, David,
1: do we have, uh, we got we time. some more time. We got time. We got time. Yeah. I know you've got some thoughts, Ryan, that, that uh, you, you put down on thoughts. paper. And so I want to, I want to hear them coming out from out of your mouth today. So let's <laughs> All get right. into it.
2: Well, like at the risk of getting a little ranty here, um, and I don't want to get ranty. I was just thinking over the weekend, David, about some lessons I've learned on the journey. Like, um, you know, so I've, I've been in the space about six years. Um, so not like super long that's you know i wasn't long. there at bitcoin that's genesis yeah you know so and i picked up a few things just from watching mistakes that i've made mm-hmm. and being like oh that's how that works i shouldn't yeah. do that again right but also like watching mistakes that other people have right. made on mm-hmm. um, people i've seen people flame out i've seen people quit crypto yeah. i've seen people totally lose it uh, and exit the space prematurely. Mm-hmm. And so I just offered seven lessons for crypto pioneers in the market Monday post. You want to go through these? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. People like lists. so let's Yeah, go lists. Lists. <laughs> lists are
2: fun. Let's go to number one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so crypto natives, crypto pioneers. We are definitely, as Chris Berninski said, the podcast we did with him, exploring the infinite white space of this new digital country but we're also bearing the brunt of of danger here and so here are the seven things i um i i just want to convey uh to folks mm-hmm. who are on this journey the first is this crypto is in price discovery mode for the next decade at least mm-hmm. price discovery mode for the next decade at least you know what this means to me david is there's no rush yeah like The ups and downs that we see Mm -hmm. on a daily basis and the crazy volatility and China slams the door or there's some hack on an exchange or there's some DeFi contract hack or there's some extremely bullish news. It's all noise, guys. Mm -hmm. The market is figuring this space out. The price is in discovery mode. This is going to take decades. You're early. Expect the market to be irrational. This is going to take years to figure out and it's going to take years for the market to figure out even the things that you already know now. Mm -hmm. So just be at peace with that. Just have a long-term orientation. That to me Mm -hmm. is the most healthy thing that you can do as you're thinking about getting started in crypto.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, crypto moves so fast. So it's hard to keep a macro perspective when there's, you know, so many every single week, there's something micro to pay attention to. Like, yes. oh, PayPal, you know, integrated Bitcoin and then Bitcoin pumped 10%. Like, but then that then you are paying attention in a very narrow way to what's going on. I mean, one of my favorite um, perspectives to take is and I can't remember who said this, but like it was probably in the middle of 2018, 2019 bear market. I think it was Eric Voorhees who said this. Like we're not in Bitcoin isn't in a one to two year bear market. It's in a 10 year long bull market. Yes. Right? That is the right perspective. Right. And the one thing I, I try and tell people who are you know normies who are trying to get their head wrapped around, you know, cryptocurrencies and, and, and Bitcoin and Ethereum is is they say like, oh, isn't it super volatile? and like, you know, Bitcoin goes up like 20,000% and then it crashes. And I tell them, I give them the metaphor that you know, like think of Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrencies like as a plant, right? And it grows out of the ground and you have this little sapling plant that's like six inches, uh, six inches tall. And then next year it come, you come back and it's like four feet tall. Like it just grew like 20,000%. I don't know, insert the right math here. Like so yep. so like when people see that, they, they're not used to those numbers showing up on the stock market, right? stock markets, assets on the stock market don't go 20,000%. But VC funds, they are used to those numbers because they were able to get in before everyone else, right? And so like the, the whole like Bitcoin moved or, or Ethereum moved like 5,500% in a year. Like that's just numbers that we're not used to. But the world itself, the universe is used to those numbers. And we are in the middle of the universe figuring out how to price these things. I, I totally agree.
2: Totally agree. And he, sometimes you got to trip out your psychology a little bit, right? Because humans aren't meant to deal with this level of volatility. Right. But, you know, mm-hmm. we do it to ourselves when we go and check our block folio mm-hmm. 10 times a day, yep. right? Oh, I, like, 20? I know people. Yeah, <laughs> really, right. Uh, I, I know people in crypto who it's like to gain perspective, you're having trouble with this. Mm-hmm. Stop checking price. Yep. Yep. I mean, you could check price quarterly. Okay. This is a Mm-hmm. That would be enough if if it's true that we're in price discovery mode for the next decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, perspective on that. The second, you ready for the second? Yep, let's do it. All right. I have never seen a patient investor lose money in mm-hmm. crypto.
1: Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm.
2: If you're patient, you won't lose money. If right. you buy and you hold, you mm-hmm. don't lose money over the long term. I tweeted something like this out on, on Saturday and someone responded, yeah, like, But what about uh, the guy that bought EOS or like the guy that put all money into, I don't know, some other coin? Mm -hmm. I'm just like the fact that you went and looked for another Ethereum or another Bitcoin or another Mm -hmm. short term project shows that you weren't patient, that you saw Mm -hmm. somebody else getting rich. You had FOMO and you did a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Patient investors don't lose money in the space. How easy is that? It's almost like foolproof just uh, like it's really hard actually. buy <laughs> it's hard to i it know it's hands. hard <laughs> it's hard but like it's hard it's difficult but it's simple mm. buy and if your time horizon is five to ten years it'll work out you'll yep. be fine if you're not buying short-term stupid assets
1: right yep Ye- yesterday we saw the stock market pump on uh on vaccine news like it did something insane like 10 to 15 percent and then we saw a crypto uh sell we had a sell-off because people went into stocks right yeah and so like there there's two market participants there's people at the base foundational level who are patient who are never selling, who are, have their theses and have placed their bets. And then there's the people on top of those people that you know, FOMO into something every 24 hours. Right? Yep. And those are the people making the market movements, like the daily pre- plus 5%, minus 5%. But it's the bottom substrate, the foundation, that really is the reason why we are in a 10-year bull market. right? And so be part of that cohort that doesn't FOMO. right? Just, ha- just place your bets and sit on your hands.
2: Crypto is a device for transferring money from the inpatient to the patient. Yeah. Warren Buffett said the same about stocks. Mm-hmm. It's also true for crypto. Some yep. of this is just good personal finance advice, guys, but it applies in a different way in crypto. All right, you ready for number three? Let's do it. Okay, this might be um, like some tough love for you guys. Yeah. 95% of you listening right now mm-hmm. should stop trading and just hold. Mm-hmm. You should stop trading because... You're losing money relative to holding. 95% of you are not good traders, not great traders. Um, and you don't have to be to do 10Xs in crypto. Mm-hmm. You can just hold. If you don't want to spend hours a day developing your trading skills and competing at that level yep. with like the SBFs of the world, and our friends at Three Arrow Capital, like, the desks that are doing this 24 hours a day and spending 80-plus hours a week on it, like, just don't. Are, you don't even have are to be in that you. game.
1: They are better than you. Full stop.
2: It's like, it's, right, it's like everybody thinks they're going to be in the NBA, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, like, to get in the NBA, first of all, you have to have a certain, like, natural born talent and Mm -hmm. like physique and athletic ability. And then you have to work really hard. Um, 95% of you shouldn't be playing that game at all. You should just hold.
1: Yep. I I I would add one corollary onto this. Like sometimes, you know, people go to the casino, even though they basically more or less intend on losing money, like the casino is still fun. So like, if you are finding yourself compelled to do that, separate your stack into two, two stacks, two separate stacks Heavily weight one stack to be your hold stack and then allocate like two to five percent, some low number, just to get your like gambling itched, itched, right? Just to do it, just to say you did, and then you can leave your hold stack. If that's if you can't, you know, control yourself, moderate yourself. I totally agree with that.
2: And that is a sensible strategy, David. All right, number four. I am responsible for everything that happens to Mm -hmm. me in crypto. Mm -hmm. Repeat that to yourself. Mm -hmm. I am responsible for everything that happens to me in crypto. Not somebody on Twitter. Right. Not the builder who built the smart contract. Mm -hmm. Not the dude whose newsletter I read. Not the person whose YouTube I subscribe to or the token that promised me the moon. I am responsible. That is an attitude that... I have tried to uphold for myself in crypto Mm -hmm. because that is a growth attitude. You have to take accountability for the decisions that you make in crypto. You can't blame other people. It's not helpful to your progress as a crypto investor to do that. But David, I see it a lot. Mm -hmm. And whenever I see it, um, I see a mark of immaturity. Yep. And like people, when I've said this before, people, people say things like, well, you're just letting um, you know, scammers off the hook. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Both of these things can be true. I mean, I totally reject scammers and people who are trying to take other people's money mm-hmm. uh, or you know, hack and steal. Um, but for you, as an investor, the best advice is to take accountability and responsibility for the decisions that you make in mm-hmm. crypto. That is how you'll get better.
1: Yeah, the, these systems treat users as admins. Like everyone who has an Ethereum wallet, that Ethereum wallet treats them as admin. As in, no, that Ethereum wallet's not going to do anything that you explicitly didn't say yourself. That's why we are a self-sovereign industry. That's why we have some of the core values of Bitcoin, Ethereum, bankless. Like you have complete control over your assets, which means that if you lose your assets, some, you did something. Like you, you probably <laughs> yes. violated rules one through three in some particular way. Right. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that, I think that's really you don't get like empowerment and self-sovereign finance without also being responsible for your actions. Right.
2: Yep. Or you see some crypto influencer tweet about mm-hmm. something, some mm-hmm. token you absolutely have to buy. Yep. And you go buy that. Right. Quote unquote. That's on you.
1: Into a token.
2: That's on you. Yeah, I mean, you. should the crypto influencer do that? No, that's a separate thing. Yep. But the fact that you are jumping into a position mm-hmm. that you don't know anything about like would you jump into an empty pool like i mean look down look at what you're doing before you mm-hmm. you go and do it yep um i think that's what we're saying here all right absolutely number five you ready yep own more crypto than the financial experts recommend and doubly so if you're young Ooh,
1: some prescriptive advice huh all right why, yeah why look, this?
2: Let me, let me, uh, let me say none of this is financial advice as always for some disclaimers (laughs) also see number four, (laughs) right. (laughs) But, um, I think that the traditional financial experts, people Mm -hmm. with CFAs, um, people who are financial advisors, they are selling typewriter writers in the age of the PC, right? Mm -hmm. They don't understand this asset class and therefore can't give you good advice on this asset class. So even the ones that are semi-pro crypto they'll be like, yeah, you know, you, you should take 1% of your portfolio and gamble with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's not enough. Right. I mean, I get like 1%. Okay, depends Depends what your portfolio looks like, depends what age you are, depends on your risk tolerance, mm-hmm. On these things. I get that. But in general, I think the financial experts aren't going to weight you as high as you probably should be in crypto and I think this is most important if you're young. Like the 1% to 3%, mm-hmm. if you're young, I mean, is that all you want of yeah. your net worth exposure into crypto? It's not all I want.
1: Where's the other 97%? <laughs> what, what are you doing with that? You're buying boomer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> boomer stuff. <stocks. laughs> right? Yeah, you're getting dumped on by the boomers. So I'm
2: not going to prescribe a certain amount for you. It's like, right. but it's probably more than your financial experts Mm -hmm. um the guy at your brokerage is going to recommend to you
1: absolutely and and like so anthony pompliano is a big fan of the phrase like get off zero right like he's going on the crusade of trying to encourage funds to just put one percent in just put a half a percent in and like part of the reason why that number is so low is because like you need a number to convince people right and so like like if you say like you need to put 15% of your portfolio into Bitcoin. Well, f- to the you know funds that people are talking to when they say these numbers, 15% of their portfolio is like half a billion dollars, right? Or it could be. And so like in order to maintain legitimacy, you as somebody who's going off and pounding, like put 1% into crypto, you need to be have a low number because any other number other than that, that seems crazy. But if you are the type of person who's like Anthony Pompliano, who's saying like go put 1% into crypto, Anthony Pompliano has way more than one percent of. It's his over fifty percent. De- definitely over fifty percent. He said right? it. I've yeah. heard him say it. Yeah. So like, yeah. So do do see what people's actions are, not what they're saying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, he is talking mainly to like um, funds and large pensions institutions on that one. So, uh, all right, this number six is a little spicy, David. You ready? Yeah, love it. All right. Don't take crypto advice. Mm-hmm. from someone who's never used Uniswap.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one.
2: I, I just think there, there are a lot of like uh, crypto experts, VCs, pundits, thought leaders who talk the talk, but don't actually use crypto. Like if you haven't used Uniswap, if you haven't taken out a maker loan, you don't know what that is. If you haven't used DeFi, how can you possibly have a strong opinion on Ethereum or DeFi? That does not compute to me. You have to use this stuff in order to be knowledgeable and to provide advice about it. So, this is a heuristic. It could change over time, of course. But, like right now, if somebody is talking smack about Ethereum or DeFi or all this stuff saying it never works and they've never used Uniswap, Mm -hmm. I call bullshit, dude.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things that you can only be bearish on DeFi if you haven't tried it right? And I, I think the reason why you use Uniswap is because it's kind of like the, the nexus of all the other apps. Like if you're going from Aave to Compound, you might have gone through Uniswap in order to do that because for whatever reason, right? And so as a yeah. litmus test is you almost can't use Ethereum without using Uniswap at some point in time. So like it almost it's almost to say like, if you haven't used Uniswap, you almost haven't used DeFi itself, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, what does Uniswap require? Well, it requires
2: like you to self your private keys, right? So that's something you mm-hmm. to get familiar with a DeFi wallet, like MetaMask and you to make a trade. That's it. And if you haven't completed those checks, you don't have a valid opinion to me mm-hmm. on DeFi. Yep. All right. Number Agreed. seven, um, this is something Naval says a lot, surround yourself with long-term people playing long-term games. Yep. I think this is so important. And I'm not just talking about people here mm-hmm. um, as individuals, though that is also true. It's communities. It's projects, Mm -hmm. it's also individuals, but like those people who are playing long-term games, draw those close because there's a lot of folks in crypto who are playing short-term games Mm -hmm. that you don't want to be around. And they'll all say they're playing a long-term game. So you got to watch their actions, not Mm -hmm. their words on this. But if you are surrounding yourself with people who, I would say, from an investor perspective, I think somebody like, uh, Chris Berinsky. Yep. like that's a dude who's playing a long-term game. Yep. Like he's mm-hmm. reputation oriented. He knows he's going to be in this space for 10 years. He's even instructed his entire VC fund to be that not a hedge fund trader. There's like no exit, right? Unless his LPs are successful. That's somebody who's playing a long-term game. I think of like Vitalik yep. and some of the design decisions that Ethereum has made as a project right? They could have scaled much faster by taking shortcuts. They're going through this like long, arduous process Mm -hmm. of sharding and proof of stake because they think that they want to preserve decentralization and the neutrality of the network, right? That's another person who's Mm -hmm. playing a long-term game. Um, If you surround yourself with those types of people and those types of projects, and you yourself are a long-term player Mm -hmm. and keep your reputation intact Mm -hmm. as your strongest, as your most valuable asset, you will do very well in this space over the long run. That's why I've seen everyone who's doing it.
1: Yeah, man, I have, so, I have so much to say about this. And, and I, I can't remember, it was a book I was reading where the author was uh, illustrating uh, the father at a kid's soccer game. And you have one father who is like yelling at his kid, score, 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 you know, <laughs> do whatever you need to do. Uh, and then another father is like, you know, have fun, right? Because there's two rules here. Like there's, you can either play to win or you can get, or you can play to get invited back the next time. Right. Wow. Yeah. And that's totally you are. So as an individual who is learning how to engage with others and be friends with others, the goal is to not win. The goal is to get invited to play second time. And this is also true with trading. Right. Like if you just do decide to trade like you, the goal is to always be able to play the game. Like don't ever position yourself. That gets you cut out of the game. Uh, and and this is something I, I tweeted out not too long ago where I said, like, you know, there there are theses in crypto that are pretty decently defined. And I think we've defined like the Bankless thesis and the Protocol Sync thesis and the ETH, the triple point asset thesis. And we haven't swayed from that, Ryan. Like, and I'm pretty proud of what we've done here at Bankless. If any listener has knows of, of a time that we've pivoted from one of our theses, let me know. But I think that we have been on the same, beating the same drum ever since this podcast started, ever since this YouTube channel started, ever since you started the newsletter. We haven't pivoted, right? And you know, there's a bunch of other people in the ecosystem that just have not pivoted from what they think this crypto industry is about. You know, Anthony Cezano is one of them, DC investor, anti-prosynthesis, as many Bitcoiners hate that guy. He has been beating the same drum over and over and over again. So you should surround yourself with people that don't, don't change up what they're saying based on the, the times of the day. And I didn't, didn't want to bring this up when we got into uh, the state of the nation today, but I recently tweeted out, if your cryptocurrency project has a, uh, an army of green frogs behind it, you should probably rethink your strategy and because we God. need people that are playing long-term games and so you need real people behind your network right you need a real community of real humans not just an army of green frogs so absolutely i'm totally aligned with this one play long-term games
2: yeah i think what you're alluding to there in like i know you got like uh twitter mobbed uh, about oh, it yeah. um but oh, I, I think what you're alluding it. to like i think what you're alluding to though is like reputation yep is one of the most important long-term games that we as human plays, totally. that play, right? And mm-hmm. I think there is insane amounts of value in creating sort of a, a pseudo anonymous account, some sort of reputation mm-hmm. uh, behind it. And you can accrue that over the time at, at the same time, right? Like by putting your name out there mm-hmm. um, and, and by, face. yeah, right. That is your that is mm-hmm. your reputation. That's your skin in the game. That's mm-hmm. some stake and, and that counts for something too. Yep.
0: Um,
2: so regardless, guys, those are the, the seven thoughts for crypto pioneers. Mm-hmm. If you're on the journey, crypto is in price discovery mode for the next decade, at least. Be patient because if if you are, I've never seen a patient investor lose money in crypto. Probably if you're listening to this, you should stop trading and just hold. Remember that you as an individual are responsible for what happens to you in crypto. Don't blame others. That is the key to growth accountability. Own more crypto than the financial experts recommend. Don't take crypto advice from somebody who's never used Uniswap. And then lastly, surround yourself with long-term people playing long-term games. Uh, that's it. Right off.
1: Ryan, Pardon. I'm seeing the YouTube comments. Uh, give a big fat thumbs up to your list. So nice job. All right, cool. Well, good. We, we made People YouTubers like happy. Yeah. Green frogs don't like us, but uh, YouTubers <laughs> are happy. We'll take
2: that as a win. <laughs> All right, David, with that, we should probably sign off. We've covered a lot of territory today. We'll probably chop this into uh, some smaller videos mm-hmm. for your viewing pleasure. Um, it's been fantastic to be with you guys. Risk and disclaimers, of course, ETH is risky. So is the internet bond that we talked about today. So is Bitcoin. All DeFi protocols are as well. But this is the frontier. We're glad that you're with us on the journey thanks for joining us this has been state of the nation what number david
1: 32 22 22 22 22, 22. all right bonding a lot, guys. we're bonding as a community <laughs> cuz we're playing long term <laughs> games and we're doing it together <laughs> happy bonding guys